Hello. This podcast is brought to you by Om Apparel. Gents, do you like being comfortable? Do you like to look good and support a sustainable environment while practicing yoga? Do you do? Ladies, gents, do you have a man in your life that you want to get on the mat and look fresh at the same time? You do? See what I'm doing here? I'm doing the, the old infomercial, infomercial thing. Om create high quality men's apparel with movement in mind. I wear Om clobber all the time on and off the mat. Favorite combo is at the moment Dawn Henley shirt and Voyager trousers black because it's slimming. Comfy, <laughs> comfy quality and stylish enough to rock on and off the mat. Uh, if you were interested in getting yourself some Om apparel, go to Om.com forward slash hashtag TYLP. That's O H mme dot com forward slash hashtag tylp check out their full range of active wear for men and when you use the promo code kevin you get 15 percent off not valid for clearance items that's kevin 15 percent off on dot com forward slash hashtag tylp the other sponsor of the podcast are small changes organic eco-friendly plant-based whole foods and products refills and juice bar with zero waste ethos i go there about twice a week into the drum conjure branch one opening soon in glass nevin go in get my stuff forget about the plastic i put my walnuts in a in a paper bag what you do with your walnuts so um sounds weird so uh yeah small changes there's no offer online you don't need to go online you can go in person if you find yourself in the dublin area so maybe bump into padder or the other staff that work there and maybe his mother-in-law you see her as well bridget she's a lovely lady um, you can feel free to send them tell them kev sent you uh, and get your get your stuff they do everything like i said it's not just food i get my toothpaste in there as well it's aloe vera it's quite nice fluoride free of course so yeah check out on apparel or small changes and uh Here's the podcast. Right, no messing about. Let's get straight into this. I've decided to split this into two parts. The first part is tips for teaching a class on the mat, in the classroom. The second part is going to be tips for starting and building a sustainable teaching practice, or in other words, a career. But I was going to do this in one episode, those two subjects, and I just found when I was thinking about the actual craft of teaching itself, and I was making notes yesterday, I I just went on a frenzy of typing. Loads of things were coming into my head, and I I find this topic fascinating. And because the latter point of building a career, that will explain all the business and the marketing, etc. But the most powerful marketing tool you have is teaching a great class. So that's the foundation. That's the bedrock to which everything else is built on. This is not, I mean, this is not going to be very technical. I'm not going to tell you how to teach because you're going to have your own style. I like to be quite anatomical, a little bit spiritual, sometimes a bit silly, because that's my personality. You might have your own style because you'll have your own personality and you want ideally the two to match so you're being your authentic self, as they say. Uh, this podcast is 
this episode is to help you to create an experience, not just a class. So should we get into this? Yeah. Now I've split it into three parts. Before the class, during the class, and after the class. Before the class, before you even come into the studio, and, and by the way, this is specifically for teaching at public class, because when you first start off teaching, and for most teachers anyway, any stage, most of their teaching is done in public classes in studios. Before the class, well, planning. Keep it simple. Don't get fancy. When you get fancy, fancy gets broken. If you try and be really, really creative, sometimes it can be quite confusing. I mean, look at Bitcram, for example. Not the creepy geezer in the shorts or the speedos, but the the Bitcram sequence. It's the same sequence, 26 postures, and yet people go over and over again. They're, they're so dedicated to that practice. It's not, you could teach 10 postures in your class. It's not the postures that affect the change, it's how you teach the postures. So keep it simple, sweetheart, as they say, K-I-S-S. That's an acronym for keep it simple, sweetheart. Um, if you're gonna write notes, I used to write notes maybe it's it, it's a bit like having a comfort blanket you put them next to your mat and you think right I, I can have these here in case I need them but don't expect to be able to read them I wrote notes so many times at the start never read them because I just I got too flustered didn't know where I was on the notes then as I was looking down the notes I wasn't looking at the students and it just broke up the the rhythm of the class have a basic template but don't be too rigid be able to adapt so you don't know who's going to show up. It could be beginners, it could be people with limited mobility, people that are pregnant. You have to be able to improvise and adapt for whatever is comes your way. Um, I think that if you if you write a plan, that's great. But for me, just writing it down doesn't work. I have to actually practice it I, in order to teach something properly. I have to practice it myself over and over again, play around with regressions, progressions, and know how it feels in my body. Okay, then I'll sometimes I'll you know I do classes with my my girlfriend. She has a completely different body type to me, and we experience things different ways. So that gives you an idea of what it feels like to do the class, not just do, do, does the sequence look good on paper. A little thing I was thinking about, which could be really good. Um, in terms of learning this skill is to actually take improv classes or go to improv nights because being able to improvise is such an important skill when you're public speaking and when you're managing a room of people and um, something that i'm, I'm going to look into uh not myself doing improv but the the skill of it not actually going on a course but just the the art of it itself teach what you practice this is this is really important i mean you everything I teach I practice myself like I said then I know how and I know how it feels um, before you get to your class get there on time and on time isn't when it starts or two minutes before in my advice is arrive 15 minutes before class if you you'll see in some studios they have in the contract that you got to be there 15 minutes before anyway that is so important to take your time to get there and to ground yourself my, I'll tell you my little routine. So when I get to class, I don't, um, 
I don't go in straight away. I may, sometimes I get there like an hour early. I'll get into my car or I'll go into the studio, but now I have a car, so I get in the car. I lie down in the back or I lie down in the, in the driver's seat and I do three rounds of Wim Hof breathing, which lasts about 15 minutes. When I do my Wim Hof breathing, then I Wim Hof is taken from the Tibetan Tuma meditations. It's just massive inhales through your mouth and slow exhales. And essentially you're taking more oxygen than carbon dioxide. So it really helps to give you energy, but also calm you. After I do that, I have three ohms. And then I take a moment to be grateful for something or someone. And then I go into my class. That's every single time, no matter what. Sometimes I don't get a chance to do three rounds because it is 15 minutes, five minutes per round. So I do one or two rounds, but one uh, is great. It's better than nothing, okay? You know, going in the right mind frame. Before you go into class as well, before you even do all of this grounding, little technical things like don't assume the class is gonna have Wi-Fi connection or any kind of, you'll be able to access your 3G, 4G, 5G, whatever G we have as you listen to this episode. Um, and don't assume that there's gonna be a Bluetooth speaker at the studio. Bring your own speaker with an audio cable, download your playlist and make sure you listen and ideally practice to the playlist first. So you know what it feels like with that music if you choose to have music. And my advice is sometimes you don't even need music at all. It can keep things a lot uh, more simple. And you don't want to <laughs> recognize if, you, if, you're, if you're feeling like your playlist is your, your, again, another comfort blanket thing. Do you need to have music? What happens if the music doesn't work at all? If you didn't charge your phone and the phone dies, could you teach without it? Again, that's being able to improvise and saying, okay, now we don't have music. We can really focus on our breath. We don't know what life is going to throw at us, but we know with yoga, we always have our breath and you know consistent. You can thread it into the class instead of panicking and like, oh no, I don't have my music. But once you've got all of that sorted, lined up, you've got your cable, you've got your phone charged fully, you've got your playlist downloaded, turn off your phone. Or uh, sorry, turn on to silent, should I say. Non-vibrate. My phone now is always on silent. Vibrations are always turned off. I'm, I'm that careful. So even my own mother can't call me. I just get loads of missed calls from my mum and other people in my life and I'll call them back because I just won't risk it ever, my phone ever ringing. <laughs> That's how paranoid I am. Um, speaking of the phone, don't check your phone in class. Sometimes you've got to change the music and that's fair enough. But this is and this, this is something I found myself almost slipping into. When people in Shivasana, I think I'm changing the music and I think, oh, I might check my email. Like, what am I doing? Kev, hold on a sec. You're getting a bit complacent now. Not good enough. This is this is why I, a massive benefit to me of actually um, doing sharing this knowledge with you is I remind myself of best teach, <laughs> uh, teaching practice, the best practice in terms of teaching. So don't don't check your phone, man. People know if you're turning the music or if you're checking your Instagram. It's not cool. Another thing is don't take pictures of people in Shavasana. I know that's going to pretty upset you if you do take pictures of your students in Shavasana. But for me, it's just weird. I don't want someone, someone taking a picture of me while I'm trying to relax. I understand that you want to promote yourself and say, look how many people I've got in my class. Um... But it's not cool, man. You know, you, you, you're 
people are trusting you with their, especially with their eyes closed, that um, you're not going to violate that privacy and that that experience. So um, yeah, man, photos in Shavasana, not my cup of tea. Um, unless I'm, I've got it wrong on that, but no. So once you've um, you kind of set yourself up, you've uh, you're, you're in the class, your phone is sorted, and you've grounded yourself. I, I then do all of that and before people come in, so the the music is already on. The lighting is nice and subtle. The smells are on if you choose to use smells and the room is at a good temperature, suitable temperature. So that's all set up anyway, 15 minutes before the class. Then I'll go to the bathroom and I'll practice, um, this is actually from Amy Cuddy who is a social psychologist, I'll practice power stances. So I will go into the toilet and I put my arms out. And you can do this like arms up, up in the air like Superman or you can do Wonder Woman with your fists resting on your hips. So your elbows are out really wide, your chest is lifted, you're looking at yourself in the mirror. And when you stand like this, it changes the testosterone. Your testosterone levels go up, your cortisol levels drop you're more like it's been proven by um, social psychologists you're more likely to take risks you're more likely to think abstractly and you're more likely to, to do well in stressful situations simply by being wonder woman or superman for 30 seconds in a bathroom mirror and I, I like to add in breathing as well this is what i did for my when i did my 200 hour teacher training and i did my practical i was What's the word? most polite way of saying this? I was very nervous. <laughs> and uh, I learned this from Amy Cuddy. I actually went then into the bathroom, did this. It made a huge difference because your body is then open. You know, your arms are out. You're not walking around the class with your hands behind your back or, your, God forbid, your arms folded, which is like, well, come on. You know, that's clearly defensive body language. We all slip into little these little things that we don't notice. But become aware of it. Let yourself open up. Think of it like a nice back bend. You're releasing any trauma that you're trying to cover up in, in your heart center and you're letting everything be open so you you feel open you look open and you project your voice much better so your your mind is then right when you come back into the class and you'll notice then when you walk in the class your the music is on people are starting to walk in um everything is smelling nice the room is lit perfectly it's like you're hosting a dinner party you'd expect all of this at a dinner party, wouldn't you? Soft music to be playing. That is how the experience begins. So people are, often they remember the start of an experience and the end, the middle not so much. So get off on the right foot by um, having your mind and your room set up properly. When it comes to uh, the logistics of setting up the room, do the students need props? <laughs> this is a, a big one. I have a ton of props. I can see them in the corner of my eye here in my loft that um, I bought from Yoga Matters. I bought about 30 blocks. I bought um, loads of bricks. I bought straps. Never use them. <laughs> I thought, um, yeah, I had different ideas. I thought I was going to start my own studio when I first started teaching yoga. And uh, maybe I won't one day, but I just bought all these bricks and props and stuff because I thought I'd take them to, to uh, when I teach corporates. And I never do. I, to be honest, I don't really use blocks or any props unless they're absolutely necessary. Because you have to ask yourself, be practical, is there enough props when you're in a studio for everyone who's booked in to the class? Often there isn't. If you're teaching 40, 50 people, 
very unlikely there's going to be 100 blocks in that room. Some people don't always book in, and therefore you might have 40 people booked in, but then 50 show up. So you can, you can never really anticipate how many people are actually going to show up. So ask yourself, can you deliver the same class which is, which is with, with as much efficacy, I struggle with that word, without props? So basically, can you do the same class without having props and still be as efficient and effective? Layout of the mats. So I, what I do is I put my mat down first. And now I actually don't bring a mat with me anymore. If the mat, the studio has a mat, I'll put it down. And then that will give a guide for the first few people of where to put their mats. And you're there, you know, so you see that people are kind of lining their mats up, um, not an optimal way for space. Then you can say, okay, guys, you guys this side, you guys that side, like this is the basic structure. And then everyone else that comes in after that will, will generally follow suit. But you're not, <laughs> be willing to move people around and to make enough space for everyone. So if they're, if they're not, just to make sure they're not like standing right in front of someone or right behind someone so that they've, they've, they've got comfortable space. And it's really important that you frame this, how you communicate this in a, in a quite a gentle way. I made this mistake once before. I said, um, like people were a bit all over the shop and it was my fault because I you know, always take accountability. You're the one that's supposed to be in control of the room or managing the room at least. I said, uh, oh, okay guys, uh, move here. Oh no, I said actually, you guys move here. And it sounded quite bossy. And I could tell by the look on the face, the two people I said it to look a little bit put out. So I thought, right, I made a mistake there. I should have been more polite. So the next time that scenario happened, I said, okay guys, like to make sure everyone has enough space, you may find it best if you guys you guys here come forward a bit, you guys go back a little bit, and then everyone is, is really, really comfortable. Then I, I mean, I know when I like to practice, you're making it personal, I like to really stretch my arms out. So make sure you can stretch your arms out and kind of you know, windmill your arms around a little bit. You can make it a little bit fun. But um, yeah, particularly people that are newer, they won't know where to put their mat. And then if you, if you highlight them as being uh, then having to move you're not going to make them feel great about themselves so be quite gentle with that because I, I learned that um, through making that mistake um, when you are coming into the class you're you, you take when I say take control I mean have an intro start on time if people are gonna be late because that can happen so be it Serve the people that get there. Don't wait for the, everyone else to show up because they're booked in. Start when the class is supposed to start. With latecomers, this is a real interesting one. And again, I made a huge mistake with this once. I, um, more than once. The studio policy would generally be if people are more than five, sometimes 10 minutes late, they can't come in, no latecomers. And I actually think in a way that is kind of fair, depending on how busy the class is. But at the same time, what if that person who's late sat in loads of traffic and this is their only yoga class they're going to get to for the week and they had to get a babysitter and they really they've had a really terrible day and they really need this class being late and then not allowing them to come in if you can let them come in let them come in don't make a, a big deal out of it make sure you address them eye contact advise them where to go and then carry on with your with 
doing your introduction. But what I have done in the past is I have, um, and to be honest, I'm only human. I This is when I first started and I was a bit insecure. I kind of got a bit shitty with the person who was late. I said, oh, okay, well, yeah, if you come on early next time, then you'll have space. I said, some, I said something like that. And this is actually, I said it to someone that I know who is a guy who um, who I know through, um, how can I say, I don't know. Yeah, well, he, who cares? I mean, you know him through martial arts. So he's a tough guy and he can take, you know, he's not a shrinking violet. So I, but as soon as I said it, I thought, Kev, why do you say that? You know, that's just, it's just unnecessary. I could have framed it in a better way. And even though I felt a bit annoyed, because the person, the guy was like sitting outside for before I even got there, but then just decided to come in late. I just shouldn't, I shouldn't have made it a scene because I think it made other people feel a bit uncomfortable. Just, I think, I don't know, I could be wrong. But um, yeah, try to frame things in a positive way. And uh, if people are constantly latecomers, maybe that's something that needs to be addressed, but not in the class itself. Don't, uh, you know, keep the mood positive. Um, with the intro, I've, I mean, I've been to classes where there's no intro at all, and that's fine. Everyone has a, di a different structure, but I, I really love an intro. I, and I don't mean like going on and on, but who are you? What's your name? <laughs> I always say my name's Kevin. People are like, oh, we know your name's Kevin. We're here every week. But there might be that one person in the class who, who didn't know, who's just, who's new, or maybe someone thought, my name was Keith, <laughs> and like, oh, his name's Kevin. So what is your name? Just your first name. What are you teaching, and why are you teaching it? If you're nervous about looking at, about people looking at you, sitting up looking at you as you do an intro, because I was, God, I was a mess when I was doing my intros, because my intros are quite long. <laughs> they're, a bit too high, they're a bit longer, like five minutes. Then ask people to either take a child's pose or they'll be on Shavasana, when you explain what you're saying. Because when people are not looking at you, it's a lot easier to get the words out. Um, you can, in your intro, you could add in a poem, you could add in a mantra, if you like, but keep it concise. That's that's my advice. Yeah, when you, when you say your name as well, tell them, so keep that brief, obviously, tell them what the structure, the theme of the class is. So whether it's like peak pose, a ladder flow, hip openers, arm balances, um, whatever it may be why you're teaching this and what the benefits are behind this practice. When you teach what you practice, like I mentioned earlier, you make it personal. So for example, you could say, oh, I love backbends because X, Y, Z, they wake you up, they make you feel good. You know, we carry a lot of tension in our chest. We're leaning forward in our cars, in our desks, over our phones. And when you practice backbends, you, you counter the modern living that we, you know, we, we can't avoid. Something like that. And I, I love them because I found when I started practicing this, it gives me loads of space in my chest. And when I start to engage my glutes, which is what we're going to focus on today, it makes my back pins a lot more integrated. So I, I find it's really benefited me lately, and I'd really like to share this with you. So I hope you enjoyed the class. Something like that. Disclaim the disclaimers. This is another thing about studios. Some studios will say, you have to ask people if they have an injury. This is a juicy one, all right? We're gonna get a bit um, technical here. So I used to say, like, this is what I'd say because the studio told me to say so. And this is not wrong, but here's why maybe it might, you might not take this approach or to rethink it anyway. Um, 
Hi everyone, so do your intro. Okay, um, put your hand up if you have an injury. You're looking around the room, people are like looking at each other, feeling a bit embarrassed. Chances are, person who has an injury, particularly if they're newer, they're not gonna put their hand up. It's embarrassing. They don't wanna be singled out, singled out. And then if they do put their hand up, you go over to them and say, um, oh, I, yeah, what, what's the issue? Oh, my knee, my knee's really sore. Oh, it's sore, is it? Okay, and when do you find it sore? Oh, when I bend it like this. And what's your advice um, as a teacher? Oh, okay, well, don't bend it like that. Like, or don't, or if you, you, you can't, it sounds obvious, but it's like when that joke of, uh, doctor, doctor, my arm hurts when I do that. Doctor, don't do that, or something like that. It, that's that's really what you're what you're saying. You, I used to do this. I used to have people put in child's pose if they're feeling self-conscious or lying down and say, put one hand on your chest or wiggle your fingers. If you have an injury, I'll come over and help you. But you you can't you don't have time to diagnose the person. You you, you and also if you've done a two hundred hour teacher training and um, that's the only anatomy knowledge you have. You're probably not qualified to actually tell them specifically what they need to need to or need not be doing. Also, um, the, from a legal point of view, the, and this is something I've done a lot of research behind. You might be liable if you tell if you find out that someone has a specific injury and then they their injury gets worse in your class or the class eventually makes the, the injury worse. And I've done research behind this. The the source. Um, of this is uh, Gary Kissier. I think it's pronounced Kessier, but it looks like Kiss. So that's K-I-S-S-I-A-H. He is a lawyer for yoga studios and wellness businesses in the States. And he wrote a book called Light on Law for Yoga Studios, which is basically a guide for legal wellness. And now this is US law, but what happens in the US tends to eventually happen in the UK or in Ireland. And Gary says this, if a teacher has actual knowledge of a student's injury, the law imposes the duty of reasonable care on the teacher to monitor the student and ensure that he or she does not aggregate, aggravate the injury. If the teacher does not fulfill this duty, then the teacher may be found liable for the damages if a student is injured. So if you're teaching a vinyasa class with 20, 30, 40, 50 people in it, will you have time to give that person the special attention their injury needs? If the answer is no, I recommend you make a general statement at the beginning of the class. So that, for example, here goes. So what I say is, if students are, if you're working with an injury today, my advice is to keep yourself safe, to honor your body, um, here's how you can modify certain poses and I, I'll do that at the start and also while the class is going on. If your knee doesn't feel good, if your shoulder doesn't feel good, do this instead of that, okay? So I signpost it, I say that beforehand so that they're not, um, they don't find themselves in a flow which gives them risk to injury. But you're, you're not emphasizing that student in particular but you're giving them, you're giving the disclaimer that they should listen to their bodies essentially and um yeah, that that because that, that is so much more important than trying to diagnose someone at the beginning of a class. Again, be honest with what you know, and um, and don't try to pretend like you um, 
know the answer for everything. You know, sometimes physios will say, or doctors will say, people come to class and say, oh, my doctor, my physio told me to do yoga. They told you to do yoga, which is great, but what, what kind of yoga? I mean, it could be restorative yoga, yin yoga, it, but are they, did they tell you to do a 90-minute a vinyasa class? Maybe not. I mean, does the doctor know enough about yoga to prescribe yoga to the patient? So th there's, there's a massive gray area in the between, and it's very hard to feel that and get clarity at the beginning of a class when you're trying to set the scene, have your intro, and, and get the flow going. Um, Yes. Okay. So that's a, that's enough about that injury. But if you uh, you check out Gary's stuff, it's um, it's really interesting. I mean, this is stuff we have to consider, particularly if you're thinking of opening your own studio. Okay. So um, I, I mentioned structure, and I want to get back to this a little bit. Um, it, it can be argued that there's no template, uh, and it's good to be creative. But if you're teaching a vinyasa class to the public, in a major studio, students have expectations. It's, it's cool to be nuanced, to introduce new concepts, I mean, because ultimately we are teachers. We are, I enjoy, I get excited, I start sweating, I start, sometimes I start spitting, as in not, not on purpose, just saliva comes out of my mouth because I'm so excited about, it sounds weird, doesn't it? But I'm so excited about teaching new things. <laughs> but, but ultimately, most of the class should be familiar, should be familiar to the students so that they can come in and move and breathe it's called flow for a reason that's why you know a lot of vinyasa flow people primarily want to move and breathe so don't overwhelm them with new information keep it simple especially when you're a new teacher you probably know this already if you've just just done your teacher training but uh here's a very simple s sequence i i follow in this order grounding warm-up or integration, sun or moon salutations, standing or balancing postures, seated supine postures, and then shavasana. And for the grounding, about five minutes, warm-up, 10, sun, moon salutations, 10, uh, standing postures, about 20 minutes, seated supine, 10 minutes, shavasana, three to five minutes. What I found, though, before is that I've taught my class, I've got them down in shavasana, and, or down, sit down or lying down and uh, I've run out of poses. I'm like, oh God, I, I'm at Shavasana and I've still got 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've, oh, I've done that. Oh yeah, maybe you have too. But um, so here's a little tip. Have a bunch of poses in each of those categories that I just mentioned. So bunch of warm-ups, a bunch of standing uh, standing postures, a bunch of balancing postures, a bunch of seated supine postures, so that if you find you've got loads of time, you, you, you're, you've undershot your class, you can go to those postures without, because I was in a class once and we were lying down and the teacher realized and then got us all to stand back up again. This was actually a really experienced teacher, years and years of experience, but it just ruined the flow. Like we're lying down now, we're relaxing, now we've got to get up again. It's, um, it's, it's not, the uh, the optimal experience, should we, should we say? Um, yeah. So at the start, we're talking about um, grounding. Once you've once you've grounded yourself, I I always start with breath before movement. Be mindful of where the students have come from, or, or where they're going. So, for example, 
if it's a morning class, maybe starting everyone on their backs for five minutes breathing is not the best idea because they want to go back to sleep. You Instead, you could put them in child's pose. You could put them in a down dog, which I've started doing recently. Yeah, I see, uh, they do this in the States. Is they'll put you in down dog for like three minutes at the start. That's when you do your, your pranayama, your breathing techniques. Uh, so, yeah, so that's great for morning class because you've just got out of bed. Do you really want to lie down again? Um, you want to get the body fired up. At, on the flip side of that is if it's at the end of the day, maybe you're doing more relaxing things. You start on the back, hip openers, forward folds, so you can unwind their mind. But for the morning time, start them off in something that's a bit more active with the breathing. A child's pose is great. Maybe then practice back bends inversion with them, inversion, so you're starting to wake up the body. Um, so be mindful of where they're at mentally um, before you deliver your class. When you have your warm up, let it be specific to the main movements of the asana of the practice. So start slowly, cue movement, cue breath, but specific warm up for specific movements. If you've got a demo, which we all have to do at the start, and still sometimes you have to when it's a bit of a nuanced move. Um, don't demo a pose and try and talk at the same time, ideally, especially not a balancing pose. Try and balance on one leg and then explain something you're not very good at explaining. Very difficult, okay? It's, it's, we, we, uh, we've all done it, but um, yeah, it's not ideal. Um, also, here's an interesting one. I wrote this down. Talk or walk, not both. I, I forget who I heard this from, but the theory behind it was that if you're talking and walking at the same time, it's almost like you're marching. You're, you're what's the word? When you're um, not pouncing, when you're kind of when you're thinking and you're walking around, you're pacing. Exactly like you're pacing. So talk a little bit, stop, walk a little bit, stop. Play around with that. It's, it's, a, um, it's an interesting one. I think it works quite well. Um, and when you're talking, Try to talk to the person at the back of the room. That way, everyone at the front is going to hear you. And then notice as well, because I do this, if you're directing your attention to certain students in the class, spread the love. Spread it out. Even if someone is giving you stink face, give them love. And speaking of stink face, I am Mr. Stink Face. When I'm practicing yoga, I, uh, by the way, if you don't know what stink face is, um, I just made the word up, so um, unless, unless I heard it from somewhere else. Stink face is when the person, someone in the class is looking at you like they want to kill you. Uh, they're, you know, you just like you, you, you've really upset them and you don't know why. And I, this used to really put me off. I think, why, why is that person looking at me so seriously? And often, they're the person at the end of the class that will come up to you and go, oh, thank you, it was a great class. Swear to God. Um, but when I practice Mr. Stinkface, I rarely smile. If I do, it's not because the teacher has said, smile. I, I don't like it when someone tells me to smile. I am actually enjoying the practice without smiling. And enjoyment and, and smiling, they don't, what's the word? They're not mutually exclusive. Well, basically they don't, the one doesn't mean the other, if you know what I mean. I, I, I'm often, if I'm like in a kind of have a, in a stoic mood and I'm practicing with quite intensity, I'm really enjoying the class. Okay, if I kind of look bored, then that's that's different. So 
if someone is not looking at you, if they look like they might be upset, it's not about you. Speak to them. Don't just speak to the people you know or the people that are nodding back at you and smiling at you. Speak to everyone. Speaking of speaking, your voice is a tool. Find it, sharpen it, use it mindfully. This, I, I, I could do a whole podcast on this. I, I could do a whole podcast just on your voice. But the thing is, I don't have the expertise, to be honest. I don't, I don't know. I actually want to bring someone on the podcast who is a voice coach or a public speaking expert because I think it's so interesting. Luckily for me, when I was growing up, I, I'm, I'm, I'm conscious about my voice. I, re- I really am self-conscious. When I was growing up, I used to do impressions of people all the time. I try and mimic people constantly. If I met someone, I think, oh, look at him. He's got a dodgy eye or uh, look at her. Her hair sticks out this way or when she says that certain word, her mouth turns up that way. I'm always like really observant of people. And that's why I, I kind of like to mimic them. Um, I find I find it funny, you know, and I, I love it when people take the mick out of me when doing my accent or it, I find I, I think that's brilliant. Um but um, a, lot, a lot of people don't like the sound of their own voice. And when I first recorded this podcast, I listened back to it. I was like, I can't put it out there. I'm cringing so badly. Um, I don't. I don't sound like I thought I sound sounded. And this is really common to not like the sound of your own voice. Understand though, you, you, you listen to yourself. If you're not aware of your voice, become aware of it because. This is such an important tool, man. Like I've got, like I said, I've gotten used to hearing myself. So if you don't, I mean, start a podcast if you like to hear yourself or if you want to do it a bit easier, maybe use a dictaphone and instead of writing down your notes, speak your notes. I think that awareness of your voice is is the start, okay? Then there's tons you can learn about developing the voice. This is where maybe doing improv classes or acting classes can come in quite handy because your voice is going to guide people through an experience. For example, your voice should be matching the phase, the intensity, the mood of the class. So for example, if it's a peak pose, when you're in the peak pose, if you're speaking calm, it doesn't really match, does it? If you're in the peak pose or the middle of a really challenging sequence, your voice maybe gets a little bit louder, has more zeal to it. And if it's at the end of the class, your voice is a bit slower a bit softer you're using fewer words a great person to listen to is adam husler and he's one in this podcast a couple of times he what i noticed about him is how skillfully he uses his voice so he will say like and bring your leg forward and take it back and up and down like he almost like you wouldn't have to speak english to understand what he was asking you to do because the way the tone of his voice and um and this is something I was like, oh, this geezer sounds like, uh, he, he probably speaks like this when you down the pub. And uh, I thought, I don't have to, speaking a very flowery or this constant way of going up at the end. And nah, nah, nah. I thought, I can't, I don't have a yoga voice. I, I, how I speak now is how I speak in a class, pretty much. And um, when I heard Adam Husler speaking, I'm like, oh, right, okay, you can be, you can speak like that, and uh, that resonates way way more with me. So yeah, sorry, I could talk about this subject all day. I won't dwell on it, but um, I am going to get a voice expert or speaking expert on the podcast. So if you know anyone, let me know. Um, yeah, 
okay, anyway. <laughs> economy of words. Economy, what does economy of words mean? It means how efficiently you use your words. So, for example, notice what I said there. So, I say that all the time. I could say it now, but instead, I'm having pauses. Notice the way I've changed the rhythm of how I'm speaking. A little faster, a little slower. The, that is, uh, well, that's more so frequency of words, but then the actual words you use, like so, or like, like. <laughs> that word is overused so much. I was like, no, so he was like, why? And I was like, because. Instead of saying like, she mean, I said why. He said no, so I said like this. And we do this often as new teachers because we're trying to buy ourselves some time. We're trying to uh, think, so we throw in words like okay or phrases. Now I want you to. Now we're going to. Instead of so instead of lift your leg, we say now I would like you on your next breath to lift your leg. When you speak too much, the words have less power. Speak less and the words have way more impact. They're, they can be heard more because they are more significant. Especially if you're using the same word over and over again, like a, um, a verb, for, um, for example, lift. If you keep using that word or float, okay, what, what, what does float mean? I'm not in water. Float what? It's fine to use it. But if you're constantly saying, float your arm up, float your leg up, float your head up, you're, you're relying on that word. And for me, float means nothing. For someone else, that might, that, different words mean different things to different people. Right? So if you say float, next time you want to use the word float, maybe say lift or raise. A great little exercise is to write down a verb, typically, or a word, then draw a circle around it, and almost like a, a mind map, draw little arrows out and other words that mean that word but are different like a like a thesaurus for example if i can say that word um so yeah if you if you can't be bothered doing that exercise i would but if you can't look at a thesaurus um yes okay so body language back to amy Cuddy. body language and words body language fascinating it really is i mean this is Again, a subject that I could talk about all day, but don't have the expertise to uh, that I'd want. So I want to bring someone on board who it is a, who is a body language expert. I'm a I'm a, an expert in the you could say an expert. I use the term loosely in the world of body language within a yoga class. I would say, but uh, I'd like to understand it from a deeper level. But a few things I've noticed: don't turn your back on students. Figure literally and figuratively. Um, it's not polite. Your vo your voice is then, if you've got your back to people, your voice is being projected in the wrong direction. Often people turn their back to the class because they haven't learned how to mirror. This is a different thing I'll touch on in a moment, but mirroring your students. When you've got your back to someone, they can't see you. It's key you speaking. The, the sound is going in different directions. They can't actually see your lips. 
yesterday I had a lady come into the class who's hearing impaired. She said to me at the start of the class, she had her hearing aids in, but she is going to look at my mouth, lip read me. So I made got her, I got her to not got her. I invited her <laughs> to sit at the front of the class, right in front of me. So every time I spoke, I made sure I was standing in front of her. I wasn't behind her or to the side of her. She could see my lips. And if you can see people when you're speaking to them, you can read their faces to see if they understand. If they look confused, they probably are confused. So body language. And, and when, when, you're, when you're doing this, when you've got your back to people, sometimes we turn around and then we do certain things to make ourselves smaller. Let, like I mentioned earlier, let yourself be big. Do your power stance, do your Wonder Woman, your Superman in the toilet, or sorry, um, the bathroom, the toilet's not very polite, especially in America. In the bathroom, stand in the mirror, arms out, doesn't matter if someone comes in, they think you're a bit mad. I mean, if you're doing yoga, you're probably a bit mad anyway, it's good to be a bit mad. Uh, so just get yourself open and recognize when you feel yourself closing up. You know, you're touching your nose too much or you're playing with your hair and we all do it. Um, okay, controversial one. Are you ready? I might get in trouble for this, but so be it. Let's do this. Teach the majority, the regulars. This is not going to be a popular thing to say, but what has happened to me in the past is I've, especially when I was starting, Someone would come into the class who I've never seen before. And uh, I, I've i planned a class for 30, 40 people. And I have my modifications, I have my regressions, my progressions, my intensifications. I just learned that word. Um, but basically making things more difficult. And then if this person comes in who is probably not a regular or they're doing yoga as a new year, new me thing, and then you won't see them again in February, definitely welcome them, 100%. I know what that was felt, felt like for ages, coming in, being the only guy in class, couldn't sit cross-legged even, couldn't do anything, basically. So make sure you welcome them. Look them in the eye. You were in that position once too, right? Give them an appropriate amount of attention, not special attention, an appropriate amount, at the start of the class. Suggest modifications. Give them props. Manage their expectations. But do not change your whole class plan because of one person. I've done this before. <laughs> I've done this before and you end up not serving the people who are the most loyal at the studio. This, this sounds, again, it's not a popular thing to say. I've heard teachers say you need to teach the person who is the least capable, as it were. But the skill really is being able to teach a well-paced, accessible practice to multi-level, to a multi-level class. Understanding how to regress, how to progress every movement in the sauna is key to offering value overall. Manage expectations of the person that came in to say, look, not to them directly, again, it's awkward if you're singling them out, speak in general terms. If you got, if you, any of you are a bit newer to yoga, like I, we all started there, you know how, how it is. Um, Make sure that when, and you can be specific, take things, put your knee on the floor for this pose, maybe or not, this is the difference when you take knee on, knee off. Or you can say, this is not a performance, you're not a boot camp. You know, you've probably heard this before. Uh, you, you are not expected to reach a certain goal. Do what you can. And child's pose is always a great option. If you're in child's pose and you're breathing, 
you're looking after yourself, you're being a good yogi. Something like that, okay? Again, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but um, don't change your class for one person. That's a big mistake, and I've made that myself. Okay, <laughs> speaking of mistakes, if if you make it, okay, changing the whole class is not a mistake, it's a catastrophe, but if you make a little mistake, laugh it off briefly. Don't go on about it. Make fun of yourself. Typically, your mistake is like left and right, okay? Don't get into self-deprecating and going on about, oh, no, and getting all flustered. If something isn't working, abandon it. Say, look, that was my mistake. Let's move on and yeah, make make a joke of it quickly and get over it quickly. <laughs> um, this often, often happens with mirroring. If you if you get your left, so talking about mirroring, if you get your left and your right mixed up, confused, which we all do sometimes, little tip, obvious one though probably, write L on your right hand and write R on your left hand. I used to do this really slyly, like a tiny little biro or you know, a Bic marker on, the, on my palm, but then my palms would get sweaty and it would come off. So instead I got a big black marker L on my right hand, R on my left hand, on the top of the hand, everyone could see it, and then I'd make a joke of it at the start, going, you know, someone would see it and I'd go, ah, you know how it is, um, I don't know, say something funny, <laughs> I'll try at least anyway, but don't don't try to hide these things and um, make, yeah, make a joke of it, you know, we're all human, that's how we're learning, because mirroring is going to get tricky, especially in twists, so uh, do it whatever you can to make it as easy as possible. Here's, here's one for you. Um, talking in the positive. Hmm. Talk in the positive. You know, I've got a theory behind this. What, what do I mean by, okay, what do I mean by talking in the positive? Here's my theory. When you're a kid, well, no, when I was a kid, it was always like, Kev, don't do that. Kevin, take your hand off that. Kevin, stop doing this. Because, you know, we're all a bit mischievous as kids. And you get so used to being, say, hearing the words, don't, stop. And therefore, it seems, maybe it's just conditioning, that we sometimes use negative reinforcement. And you can say that, and I actually, it was Nico Luce who reminded me of this. He said that, I asked him a question on the podcast this a few weeks ago. And he's, he, I asked him in a negative way and he said let me let me answer that but i turn it into a positive so simple like this instead of saying um don't let your head drop back or forward you could say keep or allow your neck to stay neutral then use positive reinforcement if they do that say fantastic exactly like that keep it there xyz instead of saying don't do this and then if they do it and then you say Look, because you've done that now this and then you're just negatively reinforcing it and it's it's not good it's i think it's lazy lazy um vernacular it, it's something that we don't are not mindful of and often if we're in a negative mind state we're feeling insecure about ourselves and our class our, our skills that comes out in our language and this is why centering yourself grounding yourself at the start of the class is so good Give yourself a mantra. Tell you, tell yourself you love yourself or you're good enough. And then when you come to class, you'd be amazed at how that positive language subtly, subconsciously comes out in what you're teaching. Um, and when you're, when you're teaching, keep your language 
simple and direct. Sometimes we want to be really, really soft with our language, but we end up confusing the class. You get and you get too complex in your wording. For example, people. Firstly, sorry, before I actually give an example, people want to be told what to do. I want to know the teacher is in control. I want to be led. That's why I'm at the class, uh, not in a bossy way, but in a way like if they feel sure, I feel sure. If they're confident, I feel confident. I can um, allow myself to switch off a little bit and let them guide me. So if you're saying things like, now, whenever you're ready, you're going to allow yourself to float your knee onto the earth. Why not say, put your knee down? Or if you want to be gentle, gently put your knee down. It's direct. You've used the, obviously it's how you say it. You don't go, put your knee down. You say, you could say, sounds obvious, but gently place your knee down. Boom, done. And notice the way gently had a little pause there. Pause, you can imagine it to be a little calmer before you say place your knee down, even though a place is slightly softer than put. When you use a word like gently before a sentence, before a cue, this is what you call signposting. Signposting is, is such a great tool to... It's used to make clear what just happened and what's going to happen next. Who does this a lot is Jason Crandall. Some people want him Crandall if you want to be a bit fancy. But Jason, I've never met the guy, but I've seen his classes online. And he will say, I was going to do an impression of him. Maybe that's not a good idea. Um, because it would just be a generic American accent. But uh, I'll give it a go. Why not? A bit of comedy. You can laugh at my terrible American accent. He'd be like... Um, and put the knee down, and with the knee down, lift the arms up, like that. So he said, put the knee down, sorry for that American accent, put the knee down, and then he could say, lift your arms up, but put the knee down, and now with the knee down, put the play, bring the arms up, wherever the word is. But he's repeated, he's reinforced that cue, and then stacked another cue on top of it. Also, when you do that, when you're signposting, you're telling people to, and I learned this from Dice Eda Klein, I'm just name dropping all over the shop here, but Dice would say, when I did my 300 hour with him, he would say, okay, um, micro bend in your elbows, now keep that micro bend, and now start to lift your heel, for example. So we're keeping the micro bend in the elbow, and as we lift the heel, it doesn't mean we're gonna stop the, uh, with that micro bend, we keep that, little things like that, that's what you, you would call signposting. and. I, I love this. Another thing I learned from Dice is speaking from his personal point of view. So he would say, uh, for example, oh, I find that in handstand, you know, I was practicing last week, if I turn my hand slightly out, it allows me to externally rotate the shoulder, which gives me more space in my chest, X, Y, Z. And that I'm thinking, oh, right, this geezer actually practices this regularly. He's not just um, reading off a bunch of stuff he's heard someone else say. And it, it gives me reassurance that this person is a, a regular practitioner and they're speaking from personal experience um which is which is key make it personal right here's another good one for you teach from the ground up i actually learned this in my 200 hour um teacher training so this is this is one of the best things in terms of new, for newer teachers to help you with your cueing whatever's on the floor or on the mat teach from that so for standing postures, teach from the feet up. You know, 
it, so if you cue from the feet, then the the knees, then the hips, then the shoulders, then the hands, then the head, the neck, that's so much easier. You've got a system, okay? Instead of just thinking, have I cued that bit already? You're working up the body, you can look at the body. If the hands are on the floor in handstand, you cue from the hands up to the feet, obviously. Um, so that is such a, um, a, an easy way to cue, and it makes sense because you're working from the foundations up. When you're teaching as well, make sure that you challenge your students and you and you and you believe in them as well. So, like, it's so tempting, as I mentioned earlier, when you get someone in the class who is um, maybe struggling to make it too easy. You you start to teach down to them, and we really you should be lifting them up, helping them to meet the challenge of the practice. You're and how you. So you're, that's your intention, but you deliver that in a way that is encouraging, not like trying to punish the person, saying, oh, this is difficult, it should feel difficult. That's, think of it in a way like you're not pushing them towards the, the, um, into the practice, you're pulling them in, you're drawing them in. Um, yeah, okay. So and that's about the language that you use and how you frame things. Um, this is a slightly separate point, but it just comes into my head. Don't preach. Don't dump your personal baggage on people. Um, you know, I've been to, well, I'll just say, I'm not going to say the name, but I've been to classes where, especially uh, teachers that are maybe not um, embracing the modern yoga, as it were, and start they start shitting on social media. Or like, um, I had one teacher who was like, uh, Oh, okay, guys. Listen, at the start of the class, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a rant. I just need a rant, uh, and people kind of laughed awkwardly. I thought, what's going on here? Oh, you know, some people they're on Instagram and they think they're teachers, but they spend more time on Instagram than they do uh, um, practicing yoga or teaching yoga. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm a teacher. I'm thinking, and I'm on Instagram a lot. I'm like, look, I'm on Instagram and I'm on my mat every day and I'm teaching every day. So, you know, you can have both. Uh, and that's just not cool. It's just like, look, you, you feel insecure about something, keep it to yourself and, and serve the people in front of you. No one wants to hear you rant. Um, you know, it's just like sometimes people become yoga teachers because they need yoga. And we all do. Like before I started teaching, I was a nutter. I mean, uh, you know, I used to party a lot and not in a good way, but I was just a bit like, well, over the gaff. And uh, now I do yoga, I'm just I'm more balanced, I'm more patient, my relationships are better. I couldn't keep a woman when I was younger. Um, yeah, just, that's a bit of an off point. But, um, I was just rubbish at relationships. I wasn't very thoughtful and I was insensitive and I didn't consider other people's feelings, I'm talking about like my personal relationships. And since I started doing yoga, it's just made me more mindful. So, um, but yeah, just because you, yoga has really helped you be mindful of how you're communicating that to other people you, you're you're sharing yoga with people um they don't want to hear your problems and if you do want to share your problems try to share them in a, in a positive way um yeah okay sorry about that i just went off on one there a little bit <laughs> ironically i started preaching and dumping my baggage <laughs> okay um right so back to the class yeah, at any stage of the class, try not to breach, like I just did there. Um, in um, in uh, Shavasana, when it, when it comes to Shavasana, right, what I would recommend is sit in a seated meditation without your phone. 
you can you can physically physically assist people hands on the shoulders use essential oils in the back of the neck whatever you like to like to do but i think keep it brief for me i'm cool with being touched when i'm settling down into shavasana after about two minutes i'm good i'd rather be left alone think about what would you like to experience in your shavasana sometimes as teachers we think i'm gonna do this because it's what i always do and if i put my hands on someone it means i'm a certain dominance in the room i've given them attention if they're in <laughs> i remember I, someone was in shavasana about five minutes i put my hands on them scared the bejesus out of them and i i felt so bad because they were like oh jesus uh, um because i put my hands on their shoulders after they had already drifted off and uh yeah come on you know we live we learn this by by making the mistakes but um leave the people alone once they're in shavasana that's my advice don't pace around either um, don't stand up and definitely don't go on your phone so at the end of the class make sure you finish your class on time so important i i i've I think like only once i've ever not finished on time and that's because i just got the timing wrong um i used to have the opposite problem i'd finish a little bit too early and feel like oh no i haven't taught enough clutter poses or hasn't been long enough but people have got parking it, like i teach at studios oh no actually i won't say that forget that bit um yeah people people like let classes overrun 10 15 minutes what the hell like i don't know how much to top up my parking by i can't chill in shavasana if i um if i know like i might be getting clamped have respect for people's time i know you're not doing it out of um on purpose but be mindful of that finishing starting and finish on time for me are equally as important uh, as each other so yeah buy a watch just i got a casio um again shout out to adam husley he recommended one um it's one that's like powered by the sun solar one um so the battery will never run out because that happened my last casio the battery went a bit dodgy and then it was, the timing was off and i messed up my timings oopsie daisy okay um here's a quick <laughs> here's a quick one what can go wrong in class all right this is this um so the class is finished now but this is just i don't like to focus on the negatives but just to share some experiences with you that i've had so the biggest um probably uh, negative experience i've had is a student walked out on me once and um so this is this is I, I've talked about this before, but they on the podcast. But just to give you a very brief overview, student comes in, um, never seen them before. It's fine, late for the class. It's fine, whatever that happens. Puts the mat down um, right in front of me, uh, which again is fine. But I said, look, you can, you can go either side, which is good for you. I tried to frame it in a way that was polite, and no, right in front of me. Okay, so standing right in front of me. That's that's cool. I mean, it's not I, ideal. But we'll work with this. I, I can I can adjust. And then after about twenty minutes of teaching, the person was doing their own thing, completely like not doing any of the poses I taught, which wasn't cool because I know what I'm doing. Um, so follow the general guide of the class. You can progress and regress, but don't do your own practice. It's very off point for everyone else as well. Um, as well as I was actually starting to mix up my left and my rights because they were doing the opposite. And yeah and um which is my fault where i should be ready for that but anyway and then uh, then the person looks at me seems like they're not happy but again 
stink face. I miss the stink face, do that myself. Don't have to look happy, that's fine. Rolls up the mat, walks out after 20 minutes. This can happen, all right? I didn't address it, because I don't know if that person is someone's friend in the class, or they know them. Plus, I don't want to talk shit about someone behind their back in front of other people. I know I'm talking about this experience now, but I'm not referencing the student or their gender or the studio or when it happened. So I think we're good for an anonymity. Um, but I didn't make a thing like, oh, you know, kind of talk shit about the person. I let them walk out and I carried on as if nothing happened. Even when the class ended afterwards, a couple of people kind of looked at me like, what the hell, what was that? I didn't, I just pretended it never happened. I said, thanks so much, Kevin, for coming, everyone. Got Thanks so much for coming, guys. Um, safe home and look forward to seeing you next week. Whatever I normally say. Like it never happened. Um, another thing about what can... Now, this isn't what can go wrong, but uh, sometimes a student will talk to you in class and say, for example, um, oh, am I doing chaturanga right? They'll actually have full dialogue with you. And that's just, this is not because they're not familiar with the the etiquette, for want of, want of a better word. So... Don't ignore them, speak to them, explain this is Chaturanga. And actually, you can use that as a teaching point to go, you know what, um, I'm trying to think of a general neutral name, Max. You know what, Max? Great question. Guys, Max just brought up a brilliant question there about Chaturanga. This is, it comes up a lot. Let's quickly go through a few rounds of Chaturanga since we're in it, and I think this will benefit for more than, uh, more than just Max in the class. Something like that, okay? Turn it into the positive. Um, I mean, uh, there's, there's loads of other things that could go wrong in the class, but it's how you deal with it. The music can go off. Um, someone can come in late. Be prepared for that. Always try give people the benefit of the doubt. That's, that's my best advice. Um, at the end of the class, so now we're at the after bit. So we've done the beginning, before the class. We've done during the class. Now the last, the final frontier or furlong of this episode is after the class. What I do is when I go through the Shavasana, I take a moment, I go through a seated meditation, uh, maybe a breathing technique, give thanks, gratitude, etc. I tell people where to find me. I say about events, any questions that you have, you're always welcome to ask. Thank them for the effort, but say something that's sincere. Actually, like something that you mean, even if it sounds a bit strange, better than just saying something that you've read in a, um, on an Instagram post. Then after that, after I say that, as soon as the class finishes and I see the first person stand up, I get up, I go straight to the door, straight to the exit. And I stand at the door and I see everyone out. I hold the door open and I personally thank each and every person. Sometimes a student, because I don't do this at the start, at the start, I'm trying to zen myself. I'm trying to get centered. I make eye contact. I look at people. I'm breathing. I'm trying to relax. Because, as I mentioned before, I get I get anxious sometimes, and I I want to make sure my head is right. At the end of the class, though, that's when I I do the, the thank yous, the, any handshaking, any hugs if that people like to do that, and um, you know the the I give them the outro. But sometimes, a student will ask you a specific question so they'll actually come up to you and they'll stand in front of you and have a question now understand that if someone has made the effort to approach you directly you should give them your full attention it takes a lot often they're asking for advice 
And for them to come up to you after class um, can sometimes take a bit of courage. You know, they, um, so what I made the mistake of before is, and I, I kind of took me a while to get out of this habit is, so everyone's walking out the door, I'm holding the door open. Someone comes up to me and says, uh, hey Kevin, um, I have an amazing class, I'm joking, I'm joking. No, they're like, hey Kevin, um, I have a, a knee injury or something, I noticed this pose or whatever, and they're asking me something, and I, they're looking at me right in my eyes, and I have other people walking past again, thanks Kevin, thanks Kevin, see you next week, and I end up looking slightly over the person's shoulder and thanking people and not giving them attention. This is a mistake. You've got to make a choice there. You, I think you're better off to, unfortunately, ignore the people that are saying goodbye to you so that you're not half listening to the person standing right in front of you asking for advice and um, and just give them give them your full attention. Now you could, and I just thought of this recently, is you could say, um, listen, Max. Oh, Max again. Max is troublemaker. <laughs> Max, um, can you give me a minute? Um, I'm going to see everyone off and then I'll, I'll chat with you just in one minute. Is that okay? Or are you in a rush to go? You could say that. And then you could say goodbye to everyone and then go back to Max, sit down with them and uh, give them more attention. Uh, often as well, it's nice to kind of sit beside the person on a bench as opposed to standing right in front of them. It can be a bit um, confrontational. But uh, how you how you treat that, um, how you deliver that is done on a case-by-case basis. I mean, for example, if someone approaches you in tears after you've done a touching meditation or a guided meditation, that say that you, you, you delivered in Shavasana, if they come to you upset, it's probably more thoughtful to give them space to talk than say, yeah, can you just park your tears for a moment? I need to say goodbye to people. So like, um, I'm gonna say use your head, use your heart, man. <laughs> uh, by the way, when I say man, I don't mean literally a man. It's just, um, there you go about economy of words. Why do I say man? I suppose it's just the way I w- I've always spoken. And um, although it's not a great use of words, it's my authentic voice. It's how I speak when I when I teach. Actually, I don't say man when I teach, to be honest, unless I'm like really excited about something. And uh, <laughs> and then it comes out sometimes. Mm, but yeah, it's, um, it's in, you know, actually speaking of words, uh, swearing is an interesting one. I uh, I once had someone complain that I swore in a class and I think I might have said shit. And to be honest, I have noticed that swearing's not good. I don't say the F word ever. I think I might, well, I said it once, but jokingly. But um, yeah, avoid swearing because people aren't used to that. I think I think swearing is, I think swearing is great, actually. I mean, like swearing is a, people say, oh, it's unnecessary. Well, having a bow in your hair is unnecessary or having orange trousers are necessary, but it adds a bit of flavor to life. So... It's good to have a bit of flavor, but don't be swearing because it's a, you, you can't think of another word or it's just a lazy use of language. And I just think in the yoga room, it's not great to be swearing, to be dropping those bombs. But that's that's pretty much it for my my advice on teaching classes. Not massively technical, but just a few little tips on how to create um, the optimal experience. I think that I, I absolutely love teaching yoga and I... I th- because you, you can always get better. It's a craft. I, I can't wait to speak to a voice coach, a body language expert, and learn more about how to become a master communicator. 
because that's what we are, or trying to be at least. I was talking to my missus about this last night. She made a great point, as she often does. Uh, is uh, She said, look, when you do yoga teacher training, because I'm leading the teacher training with Catherine Henley in Yoga Hub, you're not teaching people necessarily about yoga. You're teaching them how to be yoga teachers, how to teach and share yoga. It don't matter what you know. It matters what you can teach. This is so important. And how do you teach? Through your language, your body language, your actual language, your words. Um, and the, the skill itself, to me, is fascinating. I think it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's um, becoming a master communicator is uh, something that was going to serve you in life anyway. So whether it's delivering a yoga class or presentation, notice how the most powerful people in the world are the best speakers. You know, So if you want to learn about how to teach a great class, apart from listening to this podcast, of course, you could um, uh, look at, say, Bill Clinton doing speeches. Or you could look at um, Amy Cuddy. Um, look out how they manage words. And it's just... Yeah, I, I find it fascinating. But uh, that's that's all from me. Thanks so much for listening. This podcast was brought to you by Om Apparel. Om are a men's clothing brand that want to encourage more fellas to get into yoga. And yoga is in the DNA. I mean, it's reflected in everything they do, from being kinder to the environment, because they use all sustainable recycled fabrics, to their recycled paper packaging and their focus on men's health. All their fabrics are eco-certified because... We've got to start looking after the planet. Reduce irresponsible manufacturing if we can. Check out om.com forward slash hashtag TOLP. Pick out your gear, whatever eco-active wear tickles your fancy. And when you put in the promo code Kevin, you get 15% off. That's ohmme.com forward slash hashtag TOLP. You get 15% off your gear when you use the promo code Kevin. Men's gear, but ladies you can or men, you can buy it for your fella as well last but most definitely not least the peeps down at small changes making a big difference i'm gonna use that tagline over and over again eco friendly organic plant-based products and whole foods got refills they got a juice bar go down zero waste ethos get your refillable cup you get 50 cent off your brew go down have a have a cup of tea cup of char and uh soak in the environment you can get your groceries, you can get everything there. You can get your essential oils, your nuts, your figs, whatever you like. Um, so yeah, check out Small Changes. Feel free to tell them Kevin sent you. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with your friends on your IG stories. Maybe give it a view on iTunes. I'd love to hear from you if you have any suggestions for future guests or future topics. As always, thank you. I love doing this. I didn't say that already. And I'll catch up with you next week.